Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. And this podcast that we are doing right now, Kristen, is going to be available for downloading on our producer Jerry's birthday. Yes. A.K.A. Valentine's Day. Yes. I refer to it as Jerry Day. Right. I but, think most people who work here do. Right. But, but when we were looking at the calendar, we were like, oh, man, the rest of the world who doesn't know Jerry, unfortunately, will probably think it's a Valentine's Day right. episode. Right. So we decided to do something in the in the realm of love. Yes. Kissing. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I'm probably the luckiest person in the world because before we started recording, Kristen, Kristen serenaded me with a, a kiss is just a kiss. You're trying to get me to <laughs> sing, Molly, and it's not going to happen. No, I'm just reliving a happy memory. Okay. I mean, that's sort of how podcasts start. I try and get Kristen to sing me a song and then I'm ready to record. Yeah. That's what I need. It's just, you know, I'm just warming up my pipes. (laughs) The old podcasting. Well, you warmed up your pipes. We've warmed up our brains with this research. What did we find out about kissing? Where did the kiss come from? Where did the kiss come from? That's a difficult question to answer, but I can tell you this. There are all sorts of kisses. True. Hershey's. Hershey's kisses. You know, we think of kisses as, you know, the kiss on the lips, a romantic kiss, maybe a, a kiss on a cheek, a kiss to greet someone, a kiss to say goodbye. But nay, there are far many more kinds. And, uh, this research on kissing goes back to this guy, Martin von Kemp, who lived in 17th century, and he wrote the Opus Polyhistoricum de Osculus, in which he listed more than 20 different types of kisses, including a kiss of veneration, a kiss of peace, a kissing of the Pope's foot, kissing bestowed by superiors on inferiors, kissing used in academic degree ceremonies, kisses exchanged by couples sealing their marriage vows, a kiss of reconciliation. And uh, it kind of makes sense that this German guy 
was so obsessed with kissing because in the German language, I think there are more than uh, like 15 different words to describe different kinds of kisses, one of which is meant to, um, it, it translates to a kiss to make up for kisses that were not previously given. <laughs> That's the sweetest definition ever. Yeah. I mean, apparently Germans are, you know, kissing, kissing crazy. crazy. Yeah. And Von Kemp, it took a thousand pages, more than a thousand pages to outline all these types of kisses. Uh, although it is kind of a dull, dull title for a book about such a a splendid thing. Yes, an, ency- an ancient encyclopedia of kissing. And But that was not the first time, obviously, by the 17th century, people had seen a picture of a kiss before. The first picture of a kiss comes to us from India. It's the first recorded image of a kiss. So that's why some people think that's where, where it all originated. And then when uh, the, the people came through India like Alexander the Great and then kept moving westward. They took the kiss with them. Right. The, that first image that you're talking about was tracked down by an anthropologist at Texas A&M University named Vaughn Bryant. And it goes back to around 1500 BC where he says that scriptures started to mention people sniffing with their mouths and then later text describes lovers, quote, setting mouth to mouth. So perhaps Kissing in the in the sense of an erotic kiss, a sexual kiss, originated in India. Perhaps you know what's what's kind of funny is, despite the fact that we've got let's say a thousand page encyclopedia on kissing, we're still not going to have a definitive answer on why we kiss. Right, because uh, while I think it's around ninety percent of human cultures are known to kiss from lip to lip to practice lip on lip kissing for purposes of love for purposes of love it is not universal and darwin even points this out that even in cultures that uh that might not do a lip to lip kiss there's either some kind of cheek on cheek rubbing or maybe nose to nose kissing we that all polynesian cultures practice we all get up in each other's faces we do and different um animal species will do this birds will touch beaks snails will rub their antennas mm-hmm. So that gets into why would we want to be so close to another person's face? Because let's face it, that can get a little awkward every now and then. Yeah, we have halitosis. Hello. <laughs> and um, so why do we need to do this? Why is this sort of a, a common ritual in, in falling in love? And this gets into some of the theories as to how kissing evolved. One theory goes that... Uh, uh, you know, like think of a, a bird who chews the fur, the food, the mm-hmm. mother bird chooses, chews the food up for the baby birds and then puts it in their mouth. Yes. There's some thinking that kissing kind of evolved from that. Yes. Pre-mastication that mothers used to chew up the food for the babies. And then as if enough uh, mother and, you know, Freud had a field day with this kind of stuff of because Freud also said that, uh, you know, maybe your mother didn't chew up your food for you, but she might have breastfed you. Mm-hmm. And the thinking goes that, you know, when we're infant, we have this really secure feeling of being close, using our mouth to get comfort and sustenance from our mothers. Mm-hmm. And that kissing our loved ones is a way to recapture that emotion. So two two theories of your mother feeding you going into why you might like to kiss your significant other. But today, a lot of people aren't breastfed. And yet we're still we seem to be kissing just fine. It's true. Well, let's talk about I think another theory that's kind of interesting is that we're trying to suss out something about our potential mate. Yeah. In 2009, at the Association for the Advancement of Scientists, a lot of researchers came out with uh, these new findings about uh, 
philematology or the science of kissing. And they were saying that so it's all about the saliva. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a big old slobbery kiss <laughs> is what it boils down to because supposedly guys like more, uh, more I don't know, mushies. Uh, they said wet kisses. Wet kisses. Thank you. <laughs> Guys like wetter kisses. Because supposedly, uh, they're, they're trying to, what, kind of inject testosterone into a girl's mouth to yeah. sexually arouse her. They're saying that, uh, one of the things that passes back and forth when you're swapping spit is testosterone. And since guys have more of it and because testosterone increases, Sex drive. These researchers are saying that, of course, a guy would want to get all slobbery on you. He's trying to increase your sex drive via his saliva. But, you know, while that sounds, frankly, pretty creepy, there are some other things, other good hormones being traded back and forth in the kissing process. Yeah, uh, they've measured the levels of cortisol and oxytocin in people's brains before and after making out. And cortisol, which is a stress-related hormone, tends to go way down if you have a good make-out sesh. Mm-hmm. Relaxes you, chills you out. And unless think- it's gross, unless a guy is trying to shove too much testosterone in your mouth. But perhaps I'm only saying that because women tend to analyze kisses from a man far more uh with with far more scrutiny than guys do. Right. We will judge a man on his teeth, on his breath, all this stuff, whereas dudes are just like they see it as a means to an end, one article said. And we all know what that means. (laughs) But I think that makes sense. And of course, as as you might expect here on Stuff Mom never told you, there is you know, perhaps an evolutionarily evolutionary reason as to why we analyze kisses more. And of course, it, it's babies. The thinking yeah. goes that if we, you know, get that that burst of testosterone, we have sex with the fella and we end up pregnant. Oh, man, you're stuck there with the kid for the rest of your life, which is why when you have this chance just to judge the person on on the kissing style, that's why women tend to read more into it. Well, and, and that also brings up oxytocin, the, the hormone that I um that I didn't talk about earlier that goes along with cortisol. Uh, researchers think that, that oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone that is often released in male and female orgasms, goes up when you, when you kiss someone. But not as much as, uh, cortisol goes down. Basically, it's more of a stress reliever than a really intense, um, bonding thing. Cause, you know, it's, it really, you can, you can kiss someone and walk away and it not be a, a big deal, right? Yeah, we don't need researchers to tell us that kissing relieves stress. Yes, <laughs> unless again, unless it's, really unless it's a really bad kiss. kiss. That's true. But one thing I liked this little fun fact about kissing. One thing that does make it easier for us to kiss uh, and not um, say bump heads, mm-hmm. not make it so awkward. You know, like you've seen like comedic uh, scenes where couples are like going in and don't know how to approach <laughs> each other's faces. But uh, two thirds of adults tend to tilt their head, just automatically tilt their head to the right mm-hmm. when they go in for a kiss. So it's kind of complimentary. You're coming at each other from the same direction. 
to get a higher chance of meeting, meeting in lips. the middle. Yeah, and this was uh, research done by this German guy who basically Again, said, a German. A German, yeah. Germans love kissing. What is it? Because <laughs> we talk about French kissing yeah. all the time. Like, it's the, you know, the, the, the height of the kissing. bee's knees. Yeah. But maybe we should, maybe we should do uh, some German kissing <laughs> instead. All right, tell us more about what this researcher found real quick, and then I want to talk about French kissing. Right. Well, in order to, he was, he wasn't so much interested in kissing, but in the head motor bias, basically Uh how we, um, you know, someone's right-handed, they're often right-footed and will use, rely on their right eye more often. So he wanted to know if maybe the, the head tilt of kissing followed in suit because the majority of people are right-handed. Mm-hmm. And f- for two and a half years, he hid out in <laughs> airports and watched people kiss. And it took him that long to get a large enough sample size to where he could conclude that, yes, two-thirds of us tilt to the right. Now, I'm a southpaw, though, Molly. I'm you, a left-hander. Do you tilt to the left? I, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't really taken a, you know, my own sample. <laughs> Um, but as I sit here and I tilt my head to the left, it feels a lot more natural than tilting to the right. So, yeah, oh, I was probably going to make my ne- next kissing encounter all the more awkward. I was telling Kristen, I think this might be the first subject where I'm really worried about overthinking something after I've done all this research on it. Yes. Cause you know, as soon as that head tilt starts, you're going to be like, Oh, I fit into that, that demographic. Yeah. You're going to just like switch I'm, to the left really right fast just to, just to break, break the mold, Molly. All right. And as you might imagine, that researcher did admit that it was probably the creepiest research he'd ever <laughs> yeah. done and that people would see him and just kind of give him a look and, that, that's some dedication to your work to yeah. put up with all that. All right. I said I wanted to talk about French kissing. So let's talk oh, about yes. how this got its name. Yeah. Uh, French kissing basically started because rumor broke out <laughs> in Europe that probably, if, probably started by the Germans, <laughs> probably started by the Germans that if you wanted a good old snog, you need to, you need to find a French girl because they were very, um, open with their kissing. Yes. They were. You know, they just, you know, they kiss everyone. That was sort of the thing is you could just walk down the street and you'd see a French girl and be like, "Woo, let's kiss. And so it wasn't that they were necessarily known for this open mouth style. You know, it's not like the French invented the tongue. They just got <laughs> the French invented the tongue. <laughs> New finding. <laughs> they just, uh, they were very forthcoming with their kisses. And so, uh, that's how French kissing got this, uh, this, you know, High status, I guess. But you know what's funny is in India, they call it English English kissing. kissing. Right, which is interesting because that first image of kissing from 1500 BC comes from India. So wouldn't we be doing Indian kissing? Yeah, what's going on? But our word, our English word, kiss, comes from, you guessed it, German. German. The German word kusan, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. It's K-U-S-S-J-A-N, probably because of the sound that it makes. And a Hershey's kiss got its name because of the sound it makes as it comes out the like chocolate squirter. Yeah. <laughs> See? So cute. This was, uh, I think my favorite fun fact that came out of researching this, Kristen, that the average person spends 336 hours kissing of their lives. 336 hours. It's <whistles> a lot of kissing. You have some, need some chapstick for all that. <laughs> but your stress kissing. will be so low. Your stress will be so low and you're going to feel great. Afterwards, because in addition to your stress hormones decreasing, dopamine and serotonin, of course, shoot right on up in the brain, giving you a little little brain reward. Yep. Saying, thanks for all that. Thanks for that making out. <laughs> Let's talk about um, one iconic kiss, because 
I thought this was really interesting. We found this New York Times article about how uh, that famous kiss taken in Times Square of a nurse and a sailor. Yes, VJ Day. VJ Day, when the war ended, this, you know, just grabbed a woman in a fit of happiness and joy that the war was over, planted a big one on her. And um, there's uh, this article about how so many people have come forward saying that they were the person in that photograph because, you know, it's just so iconic that, you know, why wouldn't you want to be associated with such a romantic moment? And, uh, you know, they've got the guy pretty well established that it's this guy. And the photographer thinks that he's found the woman that he captured because when he took the picture, he didn't write down their names. You know, he didn't know what he had. And uh, the guy who's thought to be like the guy in the picture doesn't believe that the girl is the one he kissed. Yeah, the photograph, which I will say is Time Life's most requested and reproduced image, was taken by Alfred Eisenstadt. And he thinks that the photograph is of Glenn McDuffie, who is about 80 years old and lives in Houston. And But at least 11 other men, according to the New York Times, have stepped up to claim that they're actually the dude in the picture. And while several women have also said that they're the, the lucky lady getting smooched, um, one of them, Edith Shane, seems to have the strongest claim. Because in 1980, she contacted Eisenstadt, who flew out to California, photographed her, and declared that he believed that she was the one who got the kiss. Yeah, but the guy doesn't think that's who he kissed. Like, I, kn- I know the woman she kissed, and she ain't it. That's a quote. <laughs> that's right, Glenn McDuffie. <laughs> But apparently, you know, the whole way Eisenstadt got this picture is he was following some some sailor just down the street, and the sailor was just kissing everyone, and he just happened to get this one picture. So I don't know if I trust this guy to know everyone he kissed that day. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe Glenn McDuffie has a like a photographic memory for, <laughs> for kissing. For kissing, he knows everyone he photographic spread. lips. <laughs> he knows everyone he spread his testosterone to. Yeah. Now, Molly, before we wrap up this epic kissing episode we need to bust one myth okay we got one more kissing myth to bust all right a myth to kiss off okay (laughs) i'll stop i'll stop the eskimo kiss ah okay well there was this this theory that eskimos can't kiss on the lips because their mouths would freeze together Tends to be cold where Eskimos live. Hence, we an Eskimo kiss is when you rub noses. Right? right. Right. And this myth was very firmly established by a 1922 movie, Nanook of the North. And, uh, you know, he, you know, the, the filmmaker basically assumed that this is what they were doing to express emotion to kiss. But it just turned out that the mother that um, Robert J. Flattery, the, the filmmaker, filmed, he filmed a woman just nuzzling her baby. And the woman was giving her baby a canook, which is an expression of affection in Inuit culture. And basically, you just, you just press the sides of your nose against the cheeks of your baby and breathe in their scent. And who would want to do that? Because babies smell so good. Yeah, but it's never a romantic gesture. No, so an Eskimo kiss is not romantic. Right. But in Polynesian culture, so we do know that, that they do tend to... to bonk noses like that. And, and you know, part of the reason why no one knows exactly why we kiss is that some cultures don't want to rub lips. They just want to, like, touch some face. Right. And a lot of Asian and African cultures, kissing on the lips like we do, especially making out French style or German style, maybe <laughs> we should start saying, uh, is totally foreign and kind of gross. Yeah. Them. There was actually a, a talk that was given at the Kinsey Institute about this couple that had marital difficulties, basically because they were from two different cultures and couldn't reconcile their kissing style enough to get it together in the bedroom. 
Um, so it's kind of a sad note to end on for a <laughs> yeah. Valentine's Day episode. Yeah. Kisses. But on a happy note for those of us who do like kissing, it delivers quite a reward of stress decreasing, dopamine and serotonin increasing, and it also causes our pupils to dilate, which is why we tend to close our eyes while we do it. So, so that's our look at kissing. And um, we hope everyone out there has a happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. And a happy Jerry's birthday. Uh, yes. And mo- more importantly, a happy Jerry's birthday. On that note... If you want to send us a Valentine or email us momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Let's read a couple emails from there. So I have an email here from Brasita. It's about the eyebrow episode. And Brasita shapes eyebrows for a living. She is licensed by the state to do so. And she writes, please, please, please make sure when you get your eyebrows waxed or anything waxed, that the person waxing you is state licensed by law. Their license should be visible. If not, then I can't guarantee they went through the proper training, which means it's scary and unsafe. Um, not to scare anyone, but what if the person before got a bikini wax and had herpes, and then someone goes in and gets their eyebrows waxed with the same wax? That person can get herpes. <laughs> oh, my God. That person can get herpes in the eye and can possibly blind the person. So just be safe. Yes, always look for a valid Ooh. license before... Putting wax anywhere. It's good to know. Words to live by. Well, I've got one here from Brooke, and this is in response to our episode on objectum sexuality. And she writes, The aspect of people marrying objects dredged up bad associations for me of one of the arguments against gay marriage. If we let them do it, next thing you know, people will want to marry their dogs, which I do think is wrong for many reasons, one of them being that one of the parties in that comparison isn't even capable of consent. But I've thought about my response more. If I put away the negative feelings I get because of its similarity to an argument made to deprive people of their rights and separate separate marriage from its legal meaning, I can see it in a different light. I do think that loving a dog would be different because a dog isn't capable of consent. I don't think objects are either, but I also don't think they can be hurt, so that becomes entirely irrelevant. I can't relate to feeling any sort of love or affection for or from an object, but I can relate to being made to feel wrong in your own skin for something that's none of anyone else's concern. As long as no one's being hurt, then a person should be allowed to find love wherever and however they can. Thanks again for the thought-provoking episode. And if you have any thoughts to send our way, again, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also head over to Facebook and write stuff on our wall. We'd love to see you there. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and read our blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. 
Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.